Hi, everybody, and welcome to Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments, where we invite leaders from our investment team to offer their analysis of the investment landscape and the economic outlook. I'm Jay Diamond, head of thought leadership for Guggenheim Investments, and I'll be hosting today. We are recording this episode on November 3rd and 4th, 2021. With us to provide their latest macro and market views are Justin Takata, Managing Director and Head of Investment Grade Corporate Credit at Guggenheim, and Paul Dozier, a Director in the Guggenheim's Macroeconomic and Investment Research Group. I also had a conversation with Adam Block, a Managing Director and Portfolio Manager on our Total Return Investment Team. On the podcast, you'll hear about a couple of themes. First, The world's leading central banks, including the Fed and the Bank of England, announced new policy statements recently, signaling what may be a change in long-standing monetary support for COVID response. Paul Dozier will give us an update on these developments and other issues. Second, risk markets have been performing well, but a big question mark remains whether spreads, which have come in to near their historic tights, can stay at these levels. Justin Takata, We'll work through this issue for investment-grade corporate credit. And third, in my conversation with Adam Block, we discussed how our portfolio management team is integrating their views on Fed policy into our strategies. To begin with an update on the economy, let's bring in Paul Dozier from the Guggenheim Macroeconomic and Investment Research Group. Paul, take it away. Thanks, Jay. We currently find ourselves in the middle of two consequential weeks of central bank meetings. Officials of several central banks find themselves pivoting to a significantly more hawkish stance than they held just weeks ago, while simultaneously attempting to manage expectations for liftoff, with each central bank approaching the transition differently. Yesterday, as expected, the Fed announced it would taper asset purchases starting this month. However, Fed communications remained cautious. Fed Chair Powell continued to characterize recent high inflation as transitory and likely to moderate next year, and that the labor market still has a ways to go to reach full employment. That said, he also acknowledged that full employment could be reached by next year, opening the way for liftoff. And today, the Bank of England unexpectedly held off on raising rates and pushed back on expectations of aggressive rate hikes over the next year. However, bank officials noted that the policy rate, quote, will need to raise rise modestly. And we believe a rate hike at the bank's December meeting is likely, which would make the Bank of England the first major developed central bank to lift off. That said, central banks in Norway, New Zealand, and several emerging markets have already lifted off in a bid to get ahead of inflation, and in some cases to stem capital flight. Policy rates in Brazil, Chile, and Russia are already up by 200 to 500 basis points in recent months. Although the Reserve Bank of Australia continued to suggest that a rate hike is still a ways off, it abandoned its yield curve target last week, sending short-dated Australian yields skyward. And last Wednesday, the Bank of Canada opted to end asset purchases rather than tapering them as expected. Bank officials also suggested that conditions could be in place as soon as April of next year for liftoff. And on the dovish end of the spectrum, last Thursday, the ECB reiterated its view that high eurozone inflation will prove to be transitory and push back against market-implied timing for liftoff. In terms of data releases, last week, U.S. third-quarter GDP came in at just 2.0%, a significant downshift from second-quarter growth of 6.7%. 
The deceleration was largely driven by the decline in the growth of personal consumption. We attribute the weakness to the resurgence in COVID cases during the late summer and early fall, as well as ongoing supply chain disruptions. We expect growth to pick back up during the fourth quarter. Although supply chain issues will likely be with us for a while, COVID cases have declined significantly. Sentiment data appears to support that view, with Conference Board Consumer Confidence and University of Michigan Sentiment both showing improvements in October. Manufacturing activity, as depicted in various regional Fed surveys, also has remained robust, although it didn't suffer as much as other sectors during the third quarter. And that's all I have. Back to you, Jay. Thanks, Paul Dozier. Next up, we have Justin Takata, head of Guggenheim's Investment Grade Credit Group, who will update us on market activity in this critical sector. Justin, the microphone is yours. Thanks, Jay. October gross supply slightly overwhelmed at $111 billion versus estimates of around $90 billion. And going into November, we're estimating around $100 billion in gross supply. It's, uh, you know, we also expect seasonally lower new issue supply for November and December, both on a gross and net basis. And that should support the primary market pricing as well. When we look at industrial spreads versus financials, industrials, uh, they remain uh, firm despite supply chain logistic issues along inflationary, alongside inflationary pressures. And this is really more likely an equity story than a credit spread story. And that's why we're seeing that firmness, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, on the bank side, they underperformed on a spread basis with material issuance post earnings as they came out of blackout. But we do believe that spreads will normalize over the coming weeks as supply is digested in the market. Now we spoke about the supply chain and inflationary pressures in the industrial market and it being more of an equity story. Well, here we look at IG issuers in in these sectors with inelastic demand, such as telecom, media, cable, healthcare, pharma, defense, rails, and environmental services. And they're benefiting from higher EBITDA margins in pricing power, which really speaks directly to uh, those those issues of inflationary pressures and supply chain logistics. So, um, although in in the equi- in the equity market, I think that's a focus in causing weakness. It's actually benefiting from a credit fundamental perspective on the uh, on the corporate credit side. So, what does this all mean for for opportunities or what we see going on um, in the near term and the intermediate term? Well, the near term, we see a challenging liquidity environment which is going to give way to wider spreads, spreads into the holiday season. Um, but in, in, in the intermediate term, we see a stable credit fundamental market and steady market technicals that should support spreads and really support them from any sustained widening going forward into the end of the year. That's all I have. Back to you, Jay. Thanks, Justin Takata. I was very fortunate to catch up with Adam Block, one of the leaders of our total return portfolio management team, after the FOMC met on November 3rd. Let's listen. Well, we are joined today by Adam Block, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager in our total return team, and one of the leaders of our investment effort here at Guggenheim Investments. Welcome, Adam, and thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate you having me. 
Of course. Now, uh, what I want to do is spend a few minutes to get your take on some of the headline market issues that the PM team is confronting right now. And we can take them uh, one at a time, but certainly uh, topmost on everyone's mind is the Fed decision that was set down uh, today. We're, we're recording on Wednesday after the FOMC meeting. Um, uh, but talk to us about your reaction to the Fed decision, uh, what our view is perhaps about where policy might go from here. Uh, but maybe you can start with, you know, how did the market react? Yeah, so the the market reaction was was pretty muted. Uh, you know, the Fed has, uh, Chairman Powell in particular, as I think learned from uh, some of the sins of his his past and uh, and has really improved his communication uh, tactics over the years, certainly since uh, since he first spooked the market in back in December 2018. So this was pretty well transmitted. And, you know, if you think about kind of what the impact of this tapering announcement was, you know, the Fed's reducing it, it, their purchase of bonds by 15 billion a month. Um, you know, that's one eighth of what they're currently buying on a, on a monthly basis. So, you know, in and of itself, it's not hugely impactful on the market, or at least shouldn't be. Uh, and the degree to which it was so well transmitted, um, the market reaction was, was, I think, as expected, pretty muted. So certainly uh, a feather in the cap of the Fed in, in that respect. Um, you know, what, what's more interesting, I think, is what the, uh, the kind of implication for broader Fed policy is um, based on the start of the tapering, um, you know, gradually moving from uh, an, an accommodative monetary policy to one that's that's gradually tightening as the economy continues to, to recover from COVID. So, um, you know, it remains to be seen uh, time and time again, we've seen the initial market reaction to the Fed statement, to the Fed press conference, not be the one that um, that results uh, in the market a few days later. So uh, we'll certainly keep keep an eye out for what develops. So, you know, what's what's your latest take on the, uh, the, the inflationary pressures that have come through? Uh, you know, do you still believe that or the firm still believe that these spikes are transitory? Yeah, absolutely. You know, inflation's obviously been the, the hot button issue over the, over you know, the past couple quarters. And, you know, we were we were pretty early in the transitory camp. Um, you know, that was related to the demand side of things. You know, it was pretty clear to us in the data. Uh, from the inflation readings over the summer that, uh, you know, the, the month over month changes in inflation were being pushed up by, uh, you know, travel related industries, airlines, car rentals, um, new cars, used cars, that sort of thing. So, so that was pretty clearly transitory, um, you know, and, and I think the market eventually came around to that sort of conclusion, uh, which was good for, for bond markets and, uh, and, and quelling volatility in general. Uh, but now we sit here and we're confronted with a whole new set of challenges on the inflation side. And, and so of course, the supply chain, uh, you know, as I, as I sit here in, in Santa Monica and look out the window, we can see uh, some of the some of the container ships waiting for their access into the, the port of Long Beach. So, uh, you know, it's certainly um, something we're all well aware of, um, you know, as, as investors and, and consumers as well. Uh, what are you guys seeing in uh, your portfolios and, you know, where are you seeing you know, risks and opportunities, uh, given these uh, set of market conditions that we've been discussing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, just to start high level with respect to credit risk, uh, you know, we're really in a risk on mode. Uh, you know, as we think about kind of from a, a fundamental perspective, uh, forward looking default rate should be very low historically, the, the five year forward default rate uh, that we keep a close eye on. 
historically is in the low 2% um, range or uh, area following a recession. And, and we feel that's very likely to be the case this time around, uh, certainly as pent up corporate spending is really starting to pick up as we emerge from, from the pandemic crisis. Um, and, and that as that flows through the economy, that should um, that should be very positive for for corporate spending and, and accordingly uh, corporate free cash flows and uh, and ultimately keeping the default rate um, low for the next several years. So that kind of is the fundamental side from a technical perspective. Um, you know, September was was pretty interesting. Equity markets obviously started to become a, a little unhinged. You had. Uh, a five percent um, sell-off in, in most equity markets, and it was the first time that you started to get the feeling that investors were getting were getting spooked, and and you know maybe starting to throw the towel in on on this buy everything rally that we've uh, that we've had the past year and a half. Um, but it, what was interesting is on, when you looked at credit, credit really didn't budge. Uh, investor grade spreads were basically flat over the month. High yield spreads were you know maybe ten or twenty basis points wider. So. Uh, that really showed us that the demand for yield from an investor perspective is is a real money uh, desire. It's not um, it's not you know the kind of fast money chasing returns type demand that that you worry about um, from a technical perspective. So uh, you combine the the fundamentals, the low default rate, the technicals of, of a need for yield um, from real money buyers, and the setup for credit is really strong right now. Um, obviously, we know. Yields are low and, and spreads are tight, um, you know. So the it's maybe not a, a phenomenal total return opportunity like it was, like credit was in, in 2020. Uh, but frankly, earning um, you know the types of yields you can in, in credit right now uh, versus where risk free rates are, uh, that that's a pretty strong looking trade from our perspective. Terrific, and I note that uh, we just put out a macro alert that says that we believe that first liftoff. Uh, in rates, which obviously would be important for a floating rate asset, uh, is uh, fourth quarter of 2022, so about a year from now. Yeah, and uh, you know the, the market is uh, the market has that pinned kind of closer to June, um, and expects you know again from a market perspective two two rate hikes to be accomplished by the end of next year. And uh, you know back to our earlier discussion, we'll, we'll see what the Fed's able to accomplish and. And even if they want to um, accomplish what the market thinks they will, but kind of uh, r- regardless, um, you know, assets like bank loans, assets like CLOs um, look look pretty attractive. You're getting paid a, a, a very nice credit spread, um, and and to not have to worry too much about rising rates is uh, is a pretty good one-two punch. Great. Well, Adam, as you said, very interesting time. So thank you very much for, uh, for your time today. Please come back and visit with us soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate you having me. My thanks once again to Adam Block, Justin Takata, and Paul Dozier. And thanks to all of you, our listeners, who have joined us for this, our very first episode of our new podcast. I'm Jay Diamond, and we look forward to gathering again for the next episode of Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments. In the meantime, for more of our thought leadership and videos, including the CIO Outlook by Scott Minard, our global CIO, visit us at guggenheiminvestments.com slash perspectives. So long. Important notices and disclosures. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. 
This podcast is distributed or presented for informational or educational purposes only and should not be considered a recommendation of any particular security, strategy or investment product or as investing advice of any kind. This material is not provided in a fiduciary capacity, may not be relied upon for or in connection with the making of investment decisions and does not constitute a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. The content contained herein is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal or tax advice and or a legal opinion. Always consult a financial, tax and or legal professional regarding your specific situation. This podcast contains opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guggenheim Partners or its subsidiaries. The opinions contained herein are subject to change without notice. Forward-looking statements, estimates and certain information contained herein are based upon proprietary and non-proprietary research and other sources. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but are not assured as to accuracy. No part of this material may be reproduced or referred to in any form without express written permission of Guggenheim Partners LLC. There is neither representation nor warranty as to the current accuracy of, nor liability for, decisions based on such information. Past performance is not indicative of future results.